Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. But we're on the second part of our The 99 series. And so we've been looking at this concept that, that being good at uh, being the 99 requires having God's heart for the one. And we jumped into this last week and we talked about the, the, some of the aspects of that. And, and I, I want to dial it in a little deeper. And the same preface that I gave last week fits, fits today. If you're here and you're just kind of new to Celebration Church, especially life in God, um, you're, you're checking them out. Um, th- that's great. Um, but this message is not necessarily for you. If you've not accepted Christ as your Savior and you're not per- actively uh, a child of God, a follower of Christ, um, then this message isn't really to you. You can get a lot out of it. It'll help you make your decision. It'll help you understand the, the family you would be stepping into. But for the rest of it, it's, this is for the rest of us. And so we really want to dial in and we really want to be able to get this um, done because it's important. Because there are certain things that when we've been in this for a little while, there are things we know. We know them. They're important things. But then we get into the flow of life and we get into into our stuff. And then we start making important decisions not based on the stuff we actually know that's important. Just on getting through life. And for us to be good, us as the 99, to be good at making it easy for the good shepherd to go after the one and connect them with the one. God sets lonely in families, and we're that family. The body of Christ is that family. And we're having little family gatherings all over this city right now. And under different street corners, and some in home churches, and all of these different beautiful things that take place. And there, there are these the, the family of God and, and the Holy Spirit is pursuing the ones all over our community and we're praying for that. And, and as they begin to connect through us and, and through different means, then God's going to set them in a group of believers to help them to grow and to, to be nurtured and to, to, ha- to have a, a Christ-centered family. That's what this is about. But we've got to be good at it. We've got to be ready for that moment. Um, years ago when uh, Weston... Uh, who's our 20-year-old, um, whenever he was in uh, pre-K, uh, so this is that far ago, um, well, Dad's, part of my job in getting that crew ready, um, Cutie would get the kids all dressed and ready for school, and I would get up and I would make lunches. And so I'd get out and I would make everybody's lunches and get them ready. And um, for whatever reason, that day I decided... Um, peanut butter sandwiches, that was the way we were going to go that day. So um, I made peanut butter sandwiches, load the peanut butter sandwiches up, pack them all up in the stuff, load them up in their backpacks. They grab their backpacks, go to school, and come about lunchtime, I get a call from Weston's teacher. And Weston's teacher says, um, uh, Pastor Brandon, um, I've called to tell you that you made Weston a peanut butter sandwich. I said, yes, I did. Um, this is, I'm thinking, this is a weird conversation. Um, she's like, you made Weston a peanut butter sandwich. I said, yes, I did. I made it myself. <laughs> I made him a peanut butter sandwich. And she's like, Pastor Brandon, you made Weston a peanut butter sandwich. She just keeps saying it that way. And then realizes, she goes, Pastor Brandon, 
Weston is allergic to peanuts. And I was like, oh, he, oh, he is. He is. I was like, I'll bring him something. And we're having this conversation, and it's a piece of information. I knew my boy did not need peanuts. And I just forgot in life. And then even as it was being pointed out, it's just like, I'm just missing it. I'm just missing it. And folks, so many times the church, we do that. We know God loves the one. We were the one. We know he goes after. We know he's a God of grace. We know he's a God of mercy. We've been recipients of it. And then we hear it spoken from moments like this and maybe in our readings. And they say, God loves the one. And we're like, I know. No, God, God loves the one. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. No, God loves the one. Yeah, I know. But today we have to understand that if we're the body of Christ, we have to love the one. It's not just enough for God to love the one. He makes his love expressed through us. And there, this is one of those things that we know. We come into this knowing this. But we can easily get through making life happen, cranking out the sandwiches, doing different stuff for church. It can easily just us Getting a church service done. What's another Sunday? You know what? We're going to have all of our family gathering and we're going to all get together and we just got to get through this and then one day we're going to care about those out there. And then we just kind of, oh, okay, so Sunday happened again and we're just going to take care of this. Let's just take care of this. And, and then one day we're going to take, take care about that out there. And folks, God is out there pursuing the one all the time. We have to live conscious. Of the one. We have to be aware of it. Let's look again. We're going to look every week at this parable that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells this parable to help shift a perspective. These people were mad because Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus tells a parable to kind of like, to like hey, let's, re, let's look over here. Let's refocus. He says, and then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There are parties being thrown in heaven when one person who's just been acting a total fool for all this time finally says yes to Jesus. And then the heaven goes, bam, yes, that's what this is about. It is about the lost being found. It is about people being connected. It is about people stepping over from death into life and growing in the life that God has. Not even just life, but life more abundantly. That is what this is about. And we have to live aware of it. And Jesus is refocusing all who will listen to him. That that is what this is about. Since, <clears throat> because when we live aware of the hope we found in Jesus. The hope we found, when we live aware of the hope we found in Jesus, we can be loving to people who are difficult in the middle of their hopelessness. When people are in their hopelessness, they're not kind. They're hopeless. They're not easy to deal with. 
They're hopeless. Everything seems to be falling around them. And there is this, there's the beautiful solution of Jesus. Jesus comes to give life. But they're so focused on all this other stuff that then they're, they're snippy. They're difficult to deal with. And we can easily find ourselves. You know what? When You need to just calm down. I'll deal with you later. No, we've got to be in there active. Honestly, being able to handle that. Psalms 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So many times we have this place where we're so where we enter into this thankful for what God has done and then we get in life and and we forget what God brought, has brought us through. We forget the amazing work of what it means to be a child of God. And places we need are the joy of simply being in relationship with God restored. The miracle that we get to have a relationship with the God of the universe restored to us. And if we'll have that, then man, all of a sudden we can, things can begin to change because we forget what it was like to be hopeless. Now, I know Christmas is over. I know that. So, but there is a, there is a, a movie clip, and, there, and the actor later on tells what was going on in his mind whenever this scene was shot. And the emotion of, it, of the scene when it shot, it, it surprised him when this took place. And he was actually... Uh, put up for an Academy Award for Best Actor in, in this movie. And most everybody in the room has seen It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. And there's a scene where he's in a bar praying a prayer. And folks, I want to tell you, there have been a lot of life-changing prayers prayed right here in this room. But there's been some life-changing prayers prayed in a bar too. And in, a, and in some other unlikely places. And God will meet us if we will just call out to him. He pursues the one. I want us to watch this scene. And then I want to read to you what Jimmy Stewart said was going on in his mind. scene gets me every time. This is God, I'm not a praying man. But Lord, if you're there, if you'll hear me, just, just show me the way. And Jimmy Stewart says that the, the tears and the emotion there surprised him. And he's an actor. He's prayed to be able to put on a scene and convey a, a place. But he said in that moment that he felt the loneliness, the hopelessness of people who had nowhere to turn 
and my eyes filled with tears. I broke down sobbing. This was not planned at all, but the power of that prayer and the realization that our Father in Heaven is there to help the hopeless had reduced me to tears. He had a moment there in front of a camera where he had the joy of his salvation restored to him, where he remembered what it was like to be hopeless and to call out to a God in in the middle of that moment. And folks, so many times we can get so frustrated with people because you're like, okay, now, now you want to call out to God now that you've done all this and wrecked your life and all that now? Yes, now! If not, then when? We have to have the joy of our salvation restored to us. And I love that this is the same flow in the very next verse. Restore to me the joy of your salvation is verse 12. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that the sinner will turn back to you. When, I, when my joy of my salvation has been restored to me, then I can be in a place to teach somebody who needs to hear about it. Not when I feel holier than thou. Not when I feel like I can see what they need to change in their life. But I, I remember that God restored and, and brought life to me. That's when I can help be of help to somebody. When I remember that God did something in me. Then I can be of help to somebody else. Then I can, I can teach somebody God's ways. Not whenever I feel morally superior. Not whenever I feel like I've got a better understanding. Not when I look, see like I can look at your life and dissect it and tell you every little place you went wrong. But when I remember the only one who ever did it right. And that rightness was brought into my life and he'll bring it into your life too. That is where we as the church should live as testimonies all around this place. Where we're beacons of light that God restores hope to the hopeless. That is what this is about. That is what being a part of the 99 is about. In Jude 1.22, I just love this passage of scripture. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. We're going to deal with people who doubt all the time. And it's real easy to get defensive and aggressive. People will badmouth in their doubt the God you love and you know loves you. And it can make you mad sometimes. It can make you defensive sometimes. It can make you bow up. But that's not what he did. When they railed against him, he, he stretched out his arms and died. That was what he did. So we've got to be able to walk in a new place of love. We've got to be able to be merciful to those who doubt. When people are dealing with hopelessness, there's doubt. There's doubt all around them. All around them. See, this changes the way we interact with those who want to distance themselves from us. See, that's what happens. There was a hundred sheep. All of them in a group. All of them in a herd, in a flock. And one of them decides to go, I'm out of here. And that one is distancing himself, herself from the flock. And getting away from the group. And it's real easy for the group to look over and go, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, just keep going. We don't need you anyways. It leaves a little more feed for the rest of us. A few more blades of grass. Go on, hope you find your pasture. It's so easy for the 99 to be able to look and have the support of one another. 
beginning to feel and talk about all that. You're right. You're right. All of a sudden, support one another in the way we look down upon and whatnot. But what we've got to do, we've got to do is to be compassionate with those who are trying to distance themselves from us. When someone tries to distance themselves, one of the things is, is first off, they're turning their back. They're turning their back. The one turned its back on the 99. Said, I'll, I'll give you something to look at, buddy. And turned his back and walked away. That's what happened. That's what happened. And all of a sudden, we can easily be in a place of taking offense. The, nine, the one says, I don't want anything to do with anything that that flock, that herd is about. I don't want anything to do with it. If the one is over here and has anything to do about what's happening over there, it's negative. But guess what the she- good shepherd's doing? Pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. We used to have a dog that loved to get out. A dog named Bogey. Bogey just loved to get out. And I'd have to chase Bogey. And I'd get about here to, to the end of the stage to bogey. And then he'd just look at me and go, whoop, and take off again. And I'd go after him. And I'd get a little bit close, and he'd feel like, oh, almost there, whoop, and go. And then every time I went after that dog, every time I picked up that dog to bring it home, where it was cared for, fed, loved, that dog bit me every time. <laughs> every time. I picked that dog up, reached over and bit me. Never drew blood, but let me know. I am not happy about this. (laughs) Folks, the one, they're not always easy to deal with. They're not always at the edge of the cliff saying, oh, I'm so thankful you're after me. It's like, what are you doing pursuing me? I tried to leave you. Get away from me. Folks, we can't be getting our feelings hurt by the one. And there are ones out there with public platforms. There are ones out there who run in their mouths in very public ways. Against the God we love and the the lifestyle we choose and and that God has called us to. To be able to to live a a different kind of life, a counterculture kind of life. And there there are those with public platforms. It's easy to to vilify them. And it's easy to do this. God has not called us to that. He's called us to be a part of him as the good shepherd. I want us to read a passage of scripture that we've re- read the last two weeks. But we're going to go a little deeper today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if it's in your bulletin or not, but it will be on your screen. It said, For Christ's love compels us because he is convinced, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Remember, Jesus took care of all of it. And he died for all, that those who should live, who, who, for those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded christ in this way see he's given us a new way to look so we don't regard people from a worldly point of view we regard it through a different lens through what christ has accomplished lens though we once regarded christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in christ The new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. He's given it to us. We're the ones letting people know this has been done. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It only when we are not looking at people through the old worldly way, through the fact that they're bad-mouthing us, that they're trying to distance themselves from us, that they're using everything they can to discredit us, and we don't look at them like they're enemies to us. We look at them as the one that Christ is pursuing and Christ died for. And we just keep living. They, they yell hated us. We yell love back. That God loves you. He's taking care of it all. Be reconciled to God. Receive his love. Receive his love. That has to be our response every time. See, God loves you. And, so, and he's told everyone to love you. God has told everyone. All 8 billion of us on this planet are supposed to be loving you. And in that, he has called you to love all 8 billion. To love all of them. And see, the thing is, is so many times we get upset that people aren't following God's heart to love. And we're waiting for everybody else to love before we just start loving everybody else. See, God has called us to be the pebble in the world that makes, that makes the, the ripples. For us to be the ones loving on the front side, believing that God's at work here and his will is going to be won out. It is our act of love and trust and faith is to love those who don't love us. That is what God has called us to do. Galatians 5.13 says, for, my, for you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We have enough freedom in Christ that... You could indulge your sinful nature. We're not here to do this because we're trying to earn our way to Jesus. We're free in Christ. But he says, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Use it to love and to serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus taught us what this looked like. Luke chapter 6 verse 31. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If everybody responded to you in your frustration, the way you deal with frustrated people, how would the world look? It's a good question. If you dole out mercy... If everyone doles out mercy the way you dole out mercy. If everyone doles out patience the way you dole out patience. How's the way the world look? It's a question the Holy Spirit asks me on a regular basis. But this is what Jesus has told us. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Everybody can have a crew. I got you, you got me. Everybody can have a crew. It says even people who don't give two rips about that. 
Man, there's some, there's some messed up people doing some really destructive things in the world, but they love one another and have one another's back. It says they're sinners who can love each other. It says, what credit is to you if you just love those who love you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do, to those, but if you do, do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. This is do good and lend to people who are hateful to you, who are your enemies. This isn't just people you have friction with. There's a lot of us who have friction with people in our lives. Very few of us have people we would call an enemy. But if you do, this is how you're supposed to treat them. You're supposed to be good to them. You're supposed to even lend to them. You're supposed to be patient with them. See, your reward will be great and you'll be the children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. This is some uh, truth that we as the 99, we need to remember. That God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We see too many of us as believers, we see the ungrateful and the wicked and we're like, God, I want you to get them. And he's like, you forget that if that was the way I operated, I'd have got you all those years ago. You forget that? You well, no, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for your grace, but man, they're messed up, Lord. No, he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. See, in God's master plan, you were created to make the world a better place. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The things that God has created us to do create good on this planet. They make it better. You are uniquely made because there's unique good that only you can do. There are scenarios that only you're going to be involved in, and you're the only one that can do good there. There are places, there are things you're going to know about nobody else knows, and only you can step in and begin to pray God's heart and God's will. There are conversations that only you can have. There's good that only you can do, and you were created for those things. You were created. But the thing is, is so many times the good we need to do are to people who don't like us. The most ugly, nasty places are the places that need the most good. And those are the places we're the most reluctant to go. Those are the relationships we're most reluctant to bring some good into. Is the relationships that are the most difficult. But you were created to bring good there. Your assignment in life is to begin to bring good and to bring God's will, God's heaven on earth. We are his ambassadors and we're bringing his kingdom everywhere we go. We are representing him everywhere we go and we're called and anointed to it. This is not some sort of heavy-weighted mandate. This is this beautiful God-empowered privilege. This is something he wants to do. It is a beautiful thing. See, I love this, that Jesus did not just tell us 
what this looked like. Jesus showed us what this looked like. In John 13, 11, get this. For he knew who was going to betray him. It's one thing to have somebody betray you. It's happened. You have to process it, work up, and be ready to be good to them even though they stabbed you in the back. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And Jesus did this and included him and treated him just like he treated all of those who weren't going to betray him. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and said, do you understand what I've done? He asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so for what I am now that I get my tongue tangled. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That I have, I have set an example to do what I've done. He washed his betrayer's feet. Not just those who were with him to the very end, but the one who was going to bring about the end. Man, God's love is so big. I haven't washed a foot in a long time. Somebody else's foot. Not my foot, mine. And so, but funny enough, last night, we got two little Yorkies in our house. And every once in a while, they lose their mind and use the restroom in our house. Not supposed to do that. And one of our little Yorkies did that, and we were looking at some pictures, and Colin um, ended up, it was right before bedtime, so she's barefoot, and she steps in the mess. And she steps in it, and she just immediately, like, oh, oh, and just screaming and just shaking. And she sits down, I get her a chair so I can get some stuff to clean her up, and she's just, ah, she's just so freaking out, like, like her leg's going to fall off. It's just... She is freaking out, so I go get some stuff to clean her up with, and I'm sitting there, and I tell Cutie, I was like, this is hilarious. I said, I am talking about Jesus washing feet tomorrow morning. I said, this is insane. And as I'm sitting there washing off, washing off her foot, um, you know, so many times I always think about Jesus washing the feet and washing that dust off, and that it was the dust from their day, their travel. It was stuff they'd kicked up and they'd created. But you know what? The bulk of the stuff we step in isn't ours. It's not ours. Somebody else left that bomb for us. Somebody else left that. It's somebody else's. And so many times that can be the things that shut us down. It's so much easier to go to Jesus and say, Lord, I've messed up this. Help me. But when it's somebody else's, then all of a sudden now we're a victim. We're not just going to God and saying, God, I, I, I've hurt myself and I need you to clean me up. And I, I'm sorry for this or that or I've not been quite Christ-like. But when we step in something that doesn't belong to us, that's when we get so upset and we get, become the victim. And we just we begin to lose it. 
And it's those places even that Jesus, our Heavenly Father, He wants to just wash us and cleanse us. And He's called us. He said, you do as I've done. God has called us to help and to help people who, who, who they've, life has just not been fair to them. And, and it's, they've stepped into all sorts of stuff. And all they can see, all they can see is that. And we're called to get our towel and we're called to get our basin. And we're called to kneel down and to just help clean the mess of life off people's feet. Why? Because we're called to go. I don't care what planet you're on. What, what, what continent you're on, what city you live in, what, what house you live under, all of us get up and do our life one step at a time. From the richest to the poorest, we do our life one step at a time. And God has called us to be in there, helping to <clears throat> help one another be set free. See, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, our bottom line is that we have been restored to restore. We're not just restored to be put up on a little pretty shelf and see, be a little shining example. We're called now to be in the trenches. We're called to be a part. That is our assignment. We have been restored to restore. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is his heart. That is who he is. And we can't just go, yeah, I know. We have to know and live out of that. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.